A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. In today's episode, bringing you the best from my Times radio show, James Johnson, who's been on the podcast a few times, has carried out a real focus group for us to find out what real people outside the Westminster bubble think of the party leaders and other members of the Cabinet. It won't make great reading for all of them, it has to be said. Uh, If you want to listen to my Times radio show, I'm on Monday to Thursdays, 10 till 1. Uh, You can find us on the Times radio app, on your DAB uh, radios, on your smart speaker or at times.radio. But now let's turn to where those slogans and that sort of thing sometimes come from. Uh, The government has been criticised for running uh, all of its ideas past focus groups and polling rather than uh, necessarily doing what they think might be the right thing. Uh, So what we've decided to do is run our own focus group to work out exactly what a focus group is. James Johnson was a a pollster and strategy advisor for Theresa May uh, and now uh, runs his own polling firm and carries out focus groups all the time uh, for... uh, various private clients but we're going to do what we've we've recorded one which you so you can get an insight into exactly how they work and what real people really think about um, politicians and uh, the decisions that they make and uh, and what they go about doing it also will reveal i think hopefully a little bit of um how sometimes those of us inside the westminster bubble get obsessed with things which aren't necessarily getting cut through so james uh, joins us now james has carried out this work uh, for the communications consultancy kext cnc good morning james or good afternoon even good afternoon james Good afternoon. Uh, it's nice to have you. Right, so before we get stuck into it and listen to it, because there's a fascinating listen we've got coming up, but just explain to people what is a focus group? Because obviously we, opinion polls people sort of know. You, you invite um, a thousand people to answer questions and then you reweight them so it sort of represents the country. What's the value of getting half a dozen random people together and asking them what they think? Yeah, it's basically so that you can dig into and beyond the numbers. So, you know, politicians, they'll get results on an opinion survey saying, X percent think this, 20 percent think this, whatever it might be. This allows them to actually understand what that means and how people think about uh, policies, how people think about the different parties and crucially also how they speak about them um, so that they can work out what the best messages are and the best way, the best way to sort of reach them are. They really sort of came into the fore in the UK around sort of Blair's time in around 1997. And they've really been used since. And basically, rather than getting a representative sample of the population, you'll look at the group you're really interested in. So here in the, in the focus group we've done for today, we've looked at Conservative and Labour swing voters who are now undecided. And that's quite similar to the sort of groups number 10 and the Labour Party you'll be looking at too. Those voters in the middle who they really want to understand further. And just explain then how we, how you go about finding um, these people. I mean, the fact that they're swing voters obviously makes them 
uh, more normal. You know, those of us who spend too much time on Twitter get used to the idea of everyone having very, you know, fixed and sometimes extreme views and everything. Uh, but these are sort of floating voters in the centre politically. Yeah. So uh, basically, you literally, you know, in normal times, uh, you have someone you know, go out onto the street with a, with a clipboard um, or you'd use social media advertising, um, uh, online advertising, uh, sometimes, you know, going through contact, going through groups to try and find the people um, that match. And they basically get read out a little questionnaire. Um, and if they match the criteria, um, so, you know, they're not sort of, um, you know, got very, very strong views, never going to change their minds because political parties aren't much interested in, the, in those people. Um, and, uh, you know, they match perhaps the age um, or, or demographic information that people, uh, that parties are interested in, then they'll get recruited. Um, and they usually um, tend to happen uh, in in sort of hotel conference rooms uh, or even in people's front rooms. Um, there's this wonderful network of recruiters who help with these things who um, who tend to be sort of middle-aged women called Pam, um, who are very, very good at, at hosting these uh, events and um, and getting everybody together. So over the years, I've become a bit of an expert in the, in the interiors of holiday inns um, because that's where <laughs> they often tend to happen. But this time we did it online on Zoom virtually because uh, obviously we can't do that right now. And there is something, and it's sort of slightly gogglebox of politics about this, because, even because people are sitting at home, they're on their phones or their laptops, sitting on their sofas, you do get more of an insight into what they're, um, what they're really thinking. Well, let's get stuck into it, because this is what we're really here for. Um, really straightforwardly, let's see what they thought about the party leaders. You asked them to start off with, just to give, them, give you a few sentences on uh, what they think about Boris Johnson. How do we think... Boris Johnson is doing at the moment in a sentence. Dan, let me come to you first. The best that he can do with the info that he's been given, uh, I believe. But I feel as though he's more of a, the speaker and the face uh, rather than the one that's actually making the decisions. Ian? Uh, I think he's been found to be incapable of being an authoritative Prime Minister. Becky? I put, um, he's holding the weight of the world on his shoulders. Applause should be given. He's a, a human, just like the rest of us, a dad, and he's done a good job. Lauren? I think he is a lot more serious about everything since he tested positive for COVID. Sam? It's very difficult times with lots to deal with, and um, obviously under lots of pressure and great strain. Uh, Robert? It comes across to me as somebody who's got a personal interest in getting things done after we've said he's actually had the virus, he can speak from first experience, if you like. Tina? I think he's doing what he thinks is right by his colleagues who are advising him, but I don't think they all are right all the time. So, James, it's fascinating stuff there. Um, so, imagine you were still in Downing Street and you were trying to break this news to uh, the Prime Minister, as you used to have to do for um, Theresa May. What would Downing Street be taking from listening to that and the public's attitude towards the prime minister well i think the first thing on that is that um you know after you know the last few weeks and you know it's been a difficult time for boris johnson we've also seen his poll numbers go down and we've seen a lot of commentators you know sort of saying you know boris's stock is is down it's over you know the boris brand no longer has anything if i was in there now i'd actually be coming away from this feeling pretty good um because what's pretty clear is that there is still this residual like amongst a lot of these voters uh, for Boris Johnson. Now, it's not all good news. You know, some of them, um, you know, had gone off of him and some of uh, some of them had felt more negatively about the Conservative Party since the pandemic. But he gets two things. He gets this sort of benefit of the doubt factor 
um, you know, this sense that he's doing a tough job under difficult circumstances. And we've seen that come through throughout the pandemic, which is actually, you know, meaning that people sort of focus more on the difficult circumstances he's facing uh, rather than actually his performance in and of itself. But also there's this other thing going on, which is this sort of which produces quite a generosity of feeling which comes from his experience of having the virus. And also, I thought it was interesting, the lady there who said, you know, he's a dad. And there's also, you know, this sense coming through that, you know, he's a bit of a human being and he's doing as much as he can. That's very different from the Twitter and commentator take on Boris Johnson, I admit. But that's what I'd be feeling back. You know, there's this slight sort of, you know, this feeling that Boris's uh, brand is, is is dead and buried is quite misplaced, I think. He's still got an appeal for some of these voters. I suppose it's a reflection of, um, as well, in, in questions of politics and in life generally, some people have very strong fixed views and they like to share them, whether it's, you know, in the pub when we're allowed to do that or on social media. Other people, you know, if you don't really know what you think about something, you just think, well, you know, he's the guy's doing his best. I mean, I don't really know if he's doing the right thing, but, you know, so be it. You're probably not going to go out and share those views necessarily. And, you know, people on Twitter and columnists, uh, you know, have fixed certain views and actually quite a lot of the country just isn't like that. And I suppose that's where an opportunity comes for politicians to try and... An appeal to that. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Certain views, and actually quite a lot of the country just isn't like that. And I suppose that's where an opportunity comes for politicians to try and and appeal to them. Let's let's move on um, 
and find out, we've asked them what they thought about Boris Johnson. Let's uh, hear what the same group thought about Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer. Sir Keir Starmer, I said, I know he keeps the jokes and everything and the sarcasm out that you normally see that goes on in Parliament when everyone's laughing and joking. Uh, and he just, he gets straight to the point so you can tell that he's worked in uh, the legal sector. Statesman-like. He appears to be what the image you have in your head of a statesman, of the leader of a country, would be and act and behave. I know he was supporting Boris when he was poorly, but I don't think he really stood out at the moment. I have to think who he was then, because he's, <laughs> he's made that much of an impact on me that I have to think twice as to who the actual bloke was. I've seen him on the TV, and whenever I've seen him, obviously, it's there's a criticism from either party and all this routine, but... I don't think he's made a large impact. I think he's better than the last bloke, as far as I'm concerned. That's about all I can say about him. He, he seems quite serious, doesn't he? Oh, he does indeed seem quite serious. One of the things that was striking, um, James, watching the whole focus group, was that they seemed to know that he was a lawyer, or several of them did, and he was a QC, and he was very professional. They didn't seem to think this was a negative. And that actually, you know, Boris Johnson's tried to make a joke of it the last few weeks at PMQs, mocking the barrister and, you know, my witness and all that sort of business. Um, and actually, the public doesn't seem to mind that. They quite like the fact he seems like a slight, you know, a straight statesman-like, if slightly dull man, when they manage to remember who he was. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, when, when I actually asked um, them explicitly about that, you know, again, people responded about that, about saying, you know, where it comes across as serious, it comes across as quite on top of things. And note how they sort of contrast him to what came before. What's interesting, and I've noticed this in a few focus groups, is they never quite say Jeremy Corbyn's name. It's almost like he's been erased from history of these voters. I'm not <laughs> sure whether they never thought he was very relevant in the first place, but that's an interesting thing that comes through. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And this is where focus groups are important to parties, because again, you know, if you're in number 10 listening to that, you're hopefully thinking, well, based on the focus groups and the research, um, actually, this lawyer attack probably is strengthening Keir Starmer rather than weakening him. And I'll just say one more thing on that, Matt, which is that, you know, that is you heard the gentleman there say statesmanlike about Keir Starmer. I mean, that is quite remarkable. You know, we're still a long way away from an election and plenty of people, as we heard there, don't know who he is. But that is, I expect, the first time a Labour leader has been called statesmanlike for a very, very for a very long time by a focus group. And I suppose, is that the sort of thing that if if you were doing this for Downing Street right now, you'd be feeding back, they're really not buying this barrister thing is negative. And then you might just suddenly find that thing gets dropped and there's a new line of attack at PMQs this week. Yeah. And, you know, when I was in there, we did we did similar stuff with Corbyn, you know, where, you know, we'd try certain things and then come up with others. The The difficult thing is, is that from a number 10 perspective, there's always you know, often what the public want differs from what the um, from what the MPs want to see. So, you know, <laughs> we always sort of, you know, found that uh, on Jeremy Corbyn, for example, all the voters always used to say, you know, he goes, he's way too far on the economy, he goes way too far. And we started using that and all of the MPs said, oh, so, you know, that's how view of socialism now is it, it's just a bit too far. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you're in a very difficult spot there and they may well be doing the lawyer thing because it works with MPs, even if it doesn't work with the public. Yeah, there are many different audiences to PMQs. Uh, one of the things that struck me was then when you, you went on and you asked them about whether or not they changed uh, the way that they'd voted since the election. It was obviously sort of just over six months ago. And it really struck me in an exchange uh, with some uh, people who had voted Labour in December, uh, but were now wavering and slightly changing their minds. I have for Labour. Uh, my, it's gone down, but not because of the party itself. I think, I don't know if it's, it's mainly people at my age. After the general election, some of the stuff that was said and some of the way people my age behaved who voted Labour and spoke to others, like Conservatives, for instance, was like out of order. 
absolutely out, out of order. I don't want to be associated with people like that. So it's given me a negative view of, of Labour now. It's just things on Facebook that I've noticed, like with my age group, when the, the Conservatives got into power and being a Labour supporter of how the the language and sort of how they really sort of turned nasty. So Labour, now the nasty party, according to our focus group, James. Yeah, and this is something that we saw a lot of around the December election, actually. Um, this sense that supporters were saying to uh, saying to people, you know, um, uh, you know, you're voting Conservative, you're stupid for doing so. Um, and of course, the issues around anti-Semitism as well. I think this gets at actually something that perhaps was being lost in the last few weeks of, you know, debates over statues and, and you know, cultural war issues is that the British public, we're not really like America. We're not really sort of, you know, beating our culture war drums and really, uh, you know, excited to, you know, rip one out of each other on, on these issues. British public tend to, like the chap you listened to there, tend to actually recoil when they see stuff like this. And I think that's why that explains some of why Keir Starmer is being so careful to distance himself from some of these issues, because they clearly are hearing this sort of thing themselves and, and want to change that view of the Labour Party, um, whereas previously that was very strongly associated with Corbyn's Labour. And we should point out, the focus group was carried out on Thursday night, and actually the sacking of uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey had got some cut through. Some of them had already picked up on that and spotted that. Uh, let's go back to the government uh, then, and the question of exactly how the, how the government were doing and handling coronavirus and what impact it might have on them personally. There's no handbook for it. We've never been in this situation before. Like you say, it's something that's never happened before. It's it's all new. You know, the government have literally been thrown into it. They've made mistakes, they've done good things, they've done bad things. Taxes are going to go up. They're going to have to. What's the other way of paying this back ultimately? Everyone's going to be affected one way or another, I think. We have to pay at some point in some manner. James, is this an example of where the public ends up being sort of ahead of the politics sometimes? Is that, the, you know, the public has accepted uh, that this is, you know, going to cost a lot of money and it'll have to be paid back at some point? Yeah, there certainly does seem to be does seem to be that acceptance. And again, that's something, you know, we saw we saw in this focus group. We've seen it before as well. I mean, so from number 10's perspective, you know, you may think, OK, you know, we may have permission, um, you know, to do it, to do a tax rise or anything. The only thing that what would worry me uh, on, on that is that when they're talking about those economic concerns, and a lot of that was an answer to a question where I said, what do you think is going to happen, you know, economically over the next few months? It is very much framed on sort of having to pay things back and later on. There's not much sense that actually, you know, very soon we might be seeing redundancies and we might be seeing economic damage. And that expectation is really important from a political point of view, because if voters are expecting something and it comes along and it's not very nice, they're a bit more braced for it. Whereas if they're not expecting something and it hits, uh, it's not so much in a good place. So probably better news on tax rises for the government there in terms of public expectation, but a little bit less so in terms of some of those things that could be coming up very, very shortly. And I suppose that people might accept the the sort of the um, abstract principle of uh, tax rises without necessarily being in favour of them um, being imposed on themselves. But it was, I mean, the, the people do seem to be quite sort of forgiving of the of the government generally. That you know, um, again, it goes back to I suppose that the, I don't mean to keep talking about Twitter. I feel like I've been talking about Twitter all morning. But this whole sort of the certainty of people say, oh, they've got this wrong, and they should have done this, and they should have done that. That actually, this this focus group. Seem to be in almost total agreement that this was a, a unprecedented situation to be in. Nobody's been there before, and they're sort of muddling through and doing their best. 
Yeah, and you know, this again shows that focus groups and the public, they tend to resist, you know, sort of straightforward caricatures. You know, we all want a narrative, right? We all want to be able to say this is what people think. And sometimes it is clear, but at the moment, you know, it's this sort of vortex. People are getting their news from different places, some social media. We had some conspiracy theories. You know, you've got lots of different things flying around in lots of different directions. Um, and uh, yeah, actually, both parties come out of this pretty, pretty well, considering there's no sort of killer blow for either. And I suppose that's worth remembering when we see polls that say that Keir Starmer is edged ahead of Boris Johnson in the uh, best prime minister stakes. That doesn't mean that those people don't want Boris Johnson to be prime minister. You know, people could just think, well, you know, nobody it sounds like a terrible job to do, um, and, you know, who, who might be marginally um, better suited to it. Uh, let's, uh, as we were talking about the economy and tax rise and all that sort of thing, uh, let's move on to see what they thought about some other people uh, in, at the top of politics. Let's hear what they thought about the Chancellor. What about uh, Rishi Sunak? Good guy. I like him. I like him too. I just think his um, heart's in the right place and, you know, he looks after the people. You know, his heart at the end of the day has got a genuine interest in people. I think it might be because he was the one who announced, like, the whole furlough and everything because people weren't expecting it um, and he was the face of it and obviously he's the Chancellor as well. I think that's why we've got such a good view of him, really, because that, that's what everyone knows him for now. Well, champagne corks popping in Sunak campaign central. I mean, I mean, you you've sat through many hours of focus groups. Does it get much better than that, James, for a politician? It, it doesn't, and it's really, really striking. You know, it is very, very rare to hear about a politician in those terms. You know, you might hear, you know, yeah, they're competent, or you know, yeah, they're good at a particular thing. Even that's a bit sparing at times. Um, but it's very rare to hear people talk about it in values terms like that. You know, he's looking after the people. He looks after the people. That's that's really, really quite rare. And it just shows the impact that that speech had back in March, because a couple of people referred to that, you know, when he said whatever it takes. Um, I don't think a speech by a non by someone who's not PM or a leader of the opposition has had such a big impact uh, for the public for a long time. And we also asked another question. You know, we asked whether um, people uh, wanted, um, you know, who 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 would they like uh, to lead the country, and if they could choose anyone. And usually that's a bit of a cheeky invite for people to say sort of, you know, Piers Morgan or Winston Churchill or someone else. But a couple of people said Rishi Sunak, and the fact they're settling for a current cabinet minister is quite something well let's um, just spook number 10 a bit too we've got that yeah this this is the clip that will really um panic number 10 you ask them who would you like to see in power instead is there any politician who's not in power at the moment who you who you would like to get who you'd like to see in the driving seat during this crisis probably rishi sooner he he, he seemed quite uh like a leader yeah, that's the sort of thing that gets people bite, nail-biting in, in Downing Street. You know, the whole point of having Rishi Sunak and not Sajid Javid was they're all supposed to get on famously. Uh, is that a problem to um, for Rishi Sunak to, to be too popular? I mean, we should point out that, I mean, his main skills seem to be uh, looking presentable, uh, delivering a speech um, coherently and spending eye-watering sums of money, James. Yeah, and I think that's an important caveat. You know, we are, at a, we, you know, we, we may well be at the high point of Rishi Sunak's popularity. If what I was saying earlier about expectations, you know, turns out to be turns out to be true, and actually we do see economic damage, it could be that a lot of these voters who who sort of you know took that whatever it takes message so seriously back in March actually turn around and say, oh, well, he didn't do whatever it takes, did he? So it might be fleeting. But look, I think, I think, I think number, I think Rishi's obviously very happy with that. I think number 10 are probably quite happy, happy with it as well. You know, I mean, it's uh, at the moment, at least, 
um, having having quite a popular chancellor who can get who can get messages through. Well, let's um, let's uh, in the last five minutes, loads of you texted and tweeted in um, saying um, how much you're appreciating listening to some normal members of the public rather than slightly shouty party members uh, who uh, who get sort of caught up in all of this. Um, you can tweet us at Times Radio. Um, Let's hear what happened when you asked them about some other members of the Cabinet, in particular Robert Jenrick. What about Robert Jenrick? Has anyone heard of him? Is it the Transport Minister? He's in the news a lot currently, isn't he? He's been giving undue influence to people that shouldn't necessarily have had it, shall we say. He sort of um, managed to get some business plan up and running before this, this business would need to pay massive amounts of tax. And then he made a donation to the Conservative Party after. Is that kind of scandal important? Does that matter to you? I think that goes on all the time anyway. I think there's always scandal in politics with everybody, really. They'll always find something to dangle you from. <laughs> a sort of, again, a sort of resignation to, yeah, it goes on, but, you know, what can you do? I mean, it must be worrying for Robert Jenrick and Downing Street that this let's be honest, a quite dry, complicated story about him and Richard Desmond and the West Ferry development and the fact that uh, Robert Jenrick um, appeared to rush it through uh, the, the planning application. We should point out that Robert Jenrick withdrew the application afterwards, saying he understood why people think there, there was bias, but he denies any actual uh, bias. Um, were you surprised that this story was getting cut through, James? Remember, this was last Thursday as well, so you know we've had several days more of the, this story in the papers. Yeah, it got a bit of cut through. I mean, it's worth saying what we don't hear there are, you know, six other people sort of sat looking at the screen, probably a bit a bit confused by what why what's going on in terms of having not heard the story. But I mean, the thing I, lo- I love about that clip, Matt, is that it really sums up uh, what fo- focus groups tell you because, and it's actually it's one of the frustrating things because they're so much better in person for this reason. But it's the tone of the voice, and you know, even the lady uh, and gentleman explaining what was going on there, as you say, it was this sort of resigned. It was quite blasé, you know. Yeah, these things these things happen. Um, and you know, as with this, and and with you know other things like this, uh, they might seem massive in Westminster sort of village terms, and they might seem you know huge, and they may well, and they obviously are, you know, very important. Um, but to the public, it's a bit like, yeah, happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, just shrug it off. Uh, right, let's let's rattle through some other people uh, in the cabinet who may or may not want to know what the public thinks of them. Uh, you asked them about Matt Hancock and Pretty Patel. Matt Hancock is that Matt the one Hancock? that went to? Um, sorry. Who drove and went to the castle? Is that that one? No, it's the health secretary. Is the health secretary? Yeah. It seems to me that he's being set up to be the fall guy. He's going to take the rap for this when they have an inquiry. How many years down the line? I get the feeling Hancock will be to blame. Pretty Patel. I don't think you say much of her, really. I think. No, I haven't seen anything of her. No, she just pops up now and then, doesn't she? <laughs> She does just pop up now and then, not always hugely successfully. Uh, Matt Hancock being set up to be the fall guy, that feels like an absolutely on-the-nose sort of piece of political analysis from a member of the public. Yeah, and it's where you get, you know, again, the value the value from these focus groups. You know, on the one hand, people aren't engaged, they're not following every bit of the news. But um, the British public are very savvy um, and they do, you know, they cut through the nonsense um, and uh, and they do tend to see see things how they are. Um, and we've obviously seen, you know, briefings against Matt Hancock, um, uh, you know, a few weeks ago in the papers by Number Ten, um, and I expect he's onto something there. I, I, I love that bit about about Pretty Patel. You know, this is, you know, sort of, you know, the, the peak of, you know, a politician's career. You know, becoming Home Secretary. You know, years and years of of grind and work, and then the sort of answer from this uh, from this great swing voter is, um, oh yeah, she pops up every now and then, doesn't she? 
there was also um, one member of the panel uh, got it wrong, saying that Matt Hancock was the one who drove to the castle. Eventually, they did get it right, though. Dominic Cummings. Ah, oh, that's the one that went to the castle. <laughs> Fair enough, taking his children to his parents' house. But when he said he drove to the castle to test his eyesight, it was absolutely ridiculous. As soon as when he did that, they said, that's it, I'm, I'm not going to bother now doing anything else. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. If they can get away with it, you know, they should be an example. And what he did was absolutely really ridiculous. And I think he'd do more harm, harm than anything. He must have something on Boris to keep well, his yeah, job. Well, yeah, I've heard that one. It brought out the worst of the media and journalists as well, because all, all I remember really from it is uh, them crowding outside his house, shoulder to shoulder, uh, absolutely no no regard whatsoever for the for the current situation, social distancing. So I think it was hypocritical, really, from them as well. Jen is getting a bashing there, which is, you know, a good reminder for us all. Um, also, I think it's a reminder for Dominic Cummings. He told us to get out of London and find out what real people think, and we did, and they all know that he went and tested his eyes on a drive to Durham. Uh, just finally, James, um, you asked them if they had... You got them to write, write these down. So they're sort of... They're, they're personal uh, slogans, if you like. Uh, they're one message to the government. Things will get better if we stick together, starting from the top downwards. Recognise our NHS. Discuss things with the public. Tell the truth. Thank you. Now support our NHS. Personally, I'd like to see a greater enforcing of social distance. Recognise and support all key workers. James, it's striking there that nobody said um, we want a, a, a Rooseveltian New Deal. Um, <laughs> how far, given that we, you know, we spent the last hour listening to the Prime Minister's uh, speech, how far apart do you think what the government is talking about this week is from uh, what our panel wanted to see? I think in some respects it's close. So, you know, certainly, uh, although they might not sort of say it there, you know, there's certainly that appetite to see more spending on public services. You know, there's a lot of frustration with local infrastructure, especially in those seats in the North and the Midlands. I think that optimism, some of that optimism that, that, that perhaps Boris tried to show today, they, they quite liked about him in December. Um, but look, I mean, what's really interesting from these clips, and you saw it a bit there, is just how important the NHS is. And I think that, you know, certainly they, what they would much rather see um, a focus on sort of health and key workers being the number one uh, thing, perhaps a little bit more than housing and, and business uh, and, and building. But one more thing on that, Matt, is it's also quite interesting how they sort of resisted, actually, looking too far ahead. So and you saw the prime minister allude, that, allude to that a bit in his speech today when he said, you know, people are concerned. You know, we can't you know, we haven't got this sort of we haven't completely got rid of coronavirus yet. So there was a bit of that resistance. You know, a lot of people are still very focused on the pandemic, very focused on the personal concerns for them. Well, James, absolutely fascinating. James has written about um, carrying out the focus group. Uh, you can find his piece at thetimes.co.uk. And if you're not already a subscriber, you go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Radio. The focus group uh, was polling, was carried out with Kex CNC research. And if you want to listen back to it or recommend it to people, you can either do it on the Times Radio app or on the Red Box podcast, which will be out later this afternoon. James Johnson there. Good to speak to you. To make sure you don't miss future episodes of the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Acast, Spotify or wherever you listen. And to read more about what we've been talking about on the podcast, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Radio to subscribe. But for now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 